Well, good morning. So we're starting a new series today. I forget what it's called. Waiting. That's it. Well, we are anticipating Jesus because it is officially Christmas season. Yay! I don't know if that's a whatever. For some people, that's a yay. Um, anyways, I thought the best way to start off a series about Christmas was to have some kids come out and tell us part of the Christmas story. Right? Yeah. 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 So I've got some of my friends here today. This is Huck. Huck, say hello to everybody. Sup. Sup. And my son Levi. Levi, say hello to everybody. Sup. Sup. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So, Huck, before we get into the story, Thanksgiving happened this week. What is your favorite pie to eat at Thanksgiving? It's a tough question. We didn't have pie. <gasps> What? Where is your family? Where? I'm, just, I'm, joking, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we won't single you out or embarrass you unless you don't give your kids pie. Did you have dessert? What's your favorite pie just in general then? Your favorite kind of pie or dessert? The, the jelly donut you ate backstage? Yeah, the jelly donut. Yeah, that's correct. That didn't, I'm sorry. That may have happened. All right. Levi, what about you? Favorite kind of pie? Um, I like pumpkin pie and my favorite dessert is probably donuts or cheesecake. So we had pumpkin pie donut? Yeah. Yeah, perfect. All right, well, Huck, let's get, let's get Christmas started off. Why don't you tell us a little bit about part of the Christmas story? Which part are you telling us about today? My closed here. There you go. The, uh, I'm telling you guys about the part, where, like the beginning part, basically. The the big, that's a good place to start. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good place to start. Yeah, because we're just starting off the series. That's right. Yeah, you pay attention well. All right. Uh, go ahead. Tell us. Tell us the story. So there was this angel named Gabriel who came down from the heavens to tell Mary that the heavenly Father sent him to tell her that she is going to have a baby. That's right. But not just any baby. The son of God. The son of God. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Huck, can you imagine this moment? What if an angel just showed up right now and just like, oh. That would be crazy. That would be crazy. I'd probably have to change my pants. Yeah. That'd be scary, right? Hallelujah. <laughs> do, you think, do you think Mary, when she saw the angel, she was like, yay, give me a hug? Or would you think she was scared? She was scared. Scared. Yeah, the first thing angels always tell people is, don't be afraid. It's like, well, don't be so scary when you show up, right? It's like, every uh-huh. time. They're like, Pretty don't much. be afraid. Like, yeah. Anyways, so what, is the, what did the angel tell Mary? I, you said this, but I forgot already because I'm bad at paying attention. Um, the angel told Mary, don't be afraid. I'm here to tell you the Heavenly Father sent me down to tell you that you are going to have a baby. That's right. And not any ordinary not baby. An ordinary baby. Um, the the son of yeah. God. The son of God. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the biggest deal ever, man. So here's one thing that they told him that's, that's really crazy. The angel told Mary that this child you're going to have is going to reign over Israel forever. Your kingdom will never end. How would you feel if someone told you, Huck, you're going to reign over the entire world and it'll, your reign will never end? Uh, 
scared. Scary. Would you, Would your first ruling be pie for everyone every day? Yes. Yeah. Pie! And no school. And no school. <laughs> pie and no school. That sounds like a great world. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. All right. So Levi, you're going to tell us about Joseph, right? So Mary, when she got this news from the angel, let's see, was she single? Really? Did she have a crush on somebody? She's Do you have a crush, crush on somebody? No. <gasps> tell us all. Who is it? No. No, I'm just kidding. Nobody. Right. So Mary was engaged, right? She had like a super serious boyfriend. And all of a sudden, she was going to have a baby. Tell us about it. Hey, did you know that Joseph got a visit from an angel too? Joseph was engaged to Mary and was confused when she, when she said she was getting pregnant with God's kid. That'd be weird, right? If all of a sudden she's like, no, it's okay, it's God's kid. Oh. Right? So Joseph was confused. What happens next? An angel came to Joseph in a dream to tell him it was okay and that Mary was telling the truth. Right. Listen to one of these instructions thing that the angels, angel said. And she will have a son, and, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. Matthew 1, 21. Yeah, that's a pretty big deal, right? So the angel says, listen, Joseph, it's cool. Mary's telling the truth, and this kid's going to save everyone from their sins. Sin. That's a big deal, right? Uh, and he said this because he wanted to say, fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said. Read that next verse, Levi, in Matthew 1, 23. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us all, Matthew 1, 23. Pretty cool, right? Don't you love the idea that yeah. God is with us? How does that make you feel? Excited. Know that God is with you. Excited. Excited. Happy. How's Huck feel? Happy. Happy. Very good. Like that song. Like the song. Well, very good, guys. Thank you for hanging out with us and telling us part of the story. You guys can go back downstairs and play now. All right. Good job. Let's hear it. Yeah. Sorry, I might just sit here all day. Is that okay with you guys? This this feels kind of nice. All right. So, Christmas. That's exciting. Apparently, some of you people like eggnog. Who here? Who here is eggnog fans? How dare all of you people? What, what even is eggnog? Some kind of mix of egg and nog? What is nog? I don't understand. Every year with the middle school kids in Jolt, we, uh, we try and understand what nog is because they're always very confused. And as leaders, we're always confused about what nog is. So we like to play this fun game called nog, which we're not going to play this morning. Don't worry, you're safe. Where, because eggnog is so gross, let's just be honest, it's gross. Some kind of mixture of egg and you're drinking it? Nasty. Anyways, happy for you people that like it. That's wonderful. Where we add mystery ingredients to eggnog to try and make it taste better. And then the kids have to drink it and then tell us what that mystery ingredient is. So forever your next holiday party, that's a great game to play. So anyways, I have this cup of nog, eggnog. Is there other kind of nogs? Is there like broccoli nog? Is that a thing? No? It shouldn't be a thing. All right. So I've got this cup. We would say it is half Yeah, interesting, right? So some of us would say it's half empty. Some of us would say it's half full. This is like the classic, are you an optimist or are you a pessimist thing? Is it half full, is it half empty? I don't know how accurate that test is or not, but either way, it's different, right? Optimism versus 
pessimism. Are we naturally seeing good? It's full. Are we naturally seeing the negative? It's half empty, right? Um, anybody like eggnog up here? Anybody want? No, nobody, nobody wants it now? Okay, perfect. I'll just put it back here then. That way we can spill it later. Optimism. Pessimism. So really, my first question this morning, as followers of Jesus, I was really worried about moving that. As followers of Jesus, which one should we kind of lean towards? Should we be more pessimist or should we be more optimist? And I thought it was going to be an easy question, and then it kind of got more difficult the more I kind of thought about it this week. Because I'm like, being a pessimist doesn't quite seem right as a follower of Jesus because we've got Jesus with us, the hope of the world. We're supposed to, one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. So I'm like, that doesn't quite make a whole lot of sense. But then I'm like, in optimism, like that, like look around the world. There's a lot of messed up stuff, right? Read through your Bible. There's a lot of people making some pretty big mistakes and there's not a whole lot of reason to be super optimistic about the world. So I'm like, man, which one, which one are we supposed to be? And for everyone that was born in the 1900s, most of us in here, we were born in the bloodiest century in human history. So being, and it doesn't seem to be getting much better, does it? So to think about being super optimistic, I'm like, man, but the world just, I don't know. So what we're going to explore today in some different passages having to do with Christmas, maybe there's a third way different than trying to be an optimist or different than being like, well, look at the world, we have to be a pessimist, because neither one of those super fit with like a biblical concept of how we're supposed to live. So maybe there's a third way, which we're going to call biblical hope. Biblical hope. So there's this quote I really like from this guy, his name is Cornell West. So I'm going to read it for you guys, because I think it's a really cool quote. It talks about hope and optimism and how they're different. He says, hope and optimism are different. He says, optimism tends to be based on the notion that there's enough evidence to believe things are going to be better. This is a much more rational, whereas hope looks at the evidence and says, Yee! that part was mine, that wasn't in the quote. Hope says, it doesn't look good at all. It looks at the evidence and is like, no way, it doesn't look good. Going, going to go beyond the evidence and I'm going to create new possibilities based on visions that become contagious that allow people to engage in heroic actions against the odds. No guarantee whatsoever. That's hope. He says, I want to be a prisoner of hope. I want to die a prisoner of hope. So optimism is very much based on our circumstances. What's going on around us? Look at the evidence of the things going around in your life. Do we think things are going to get better or are we going to be, eh, maybe not so much? Whereas hope says, you know what? If things are good, if things don't look good, I'm going to go beyond the evidence and have a vision of a better future anyway. And that vision is going to help people Engage in heroic actions. I like that idea better, right? Of hope. Optimism is based on our circumstances. Hope is based on our belief in a good God. That sounds way better to me. Optimism or hope is based on our belief in a good God. 
Now, if you're here last week, you know that that does not just mean happiness. We talked about that. God's goal for your life is not for you to be happy. God is okay when you're happy. That, that's great. But God's main goal is not for you to be happy. Whereas hope says, I believe in a good God. And what exactly does that mean to have a good God? So today, what we're really going to explore in the next few minutes, the nature of biblical hope which I think is a better thing to strive for than trying to be an optimist or just going all in on being a pessimist. Biblical hope. Someone I like to listen to, his name's Tim Mackey. He runs the Bible Project. It's a great website. It's an awesome YouTube channel. If you ever try to do some Bible study, go to the Bible Project and search whatever uh, book or passage you're studying, and they probably have some amazing resources to help. It's an awesome thing. Bible Project, it's great. One of his quotes when talking about this He says, biblical hope is based on God's promises and, I love this part, based on trusting God's freedom and God's creativity for exactly how he's going to fulfill those promises. I love that because it goes a little further. Biblical hope doesn't just say, I believe God's promises, which can be hard and tricky to figure out what exactly is God promised for our life because God's not promising us happiness. God is promising us something better in life, meaning, purpose, love, joy, peace, patience, all those fruits of the Spirit, all the things we sing about at Christmas, the Prince of Peace. That's what God is promising us. Hope is also leaning into believing in God's freedom and God's creativity in how he is going to fulfill those promises in our lives. Now, if we go back through ancient Jewish history, what we're going to see is God made a lot of promises. A lot of times we call those prophecies. And there is this wrestling match throughout most of the Old Testament, which is everything in the Bible before Jesus shows up. And there's a lot of prophets that write a lot of poetry, and a lot of that is this wrestling match between these prophets between the people of Israel, God's nation, we see this wrestling match between them saying, hey, God, we know you've given us this promise. And isn't this what we do as humans? They say, God, here's how we think you should fulfill that promise. God, here's how we think you should do things. And then the prophet's going, it's not quite how God works. God's going to use his freedom. God's going to use his creativity to fulfill those promises. We know he's going to fulfill the promises, but it's usually not how we think it's going to be. We see this repeated in the Old Testament, and then a lot of the New Testament writers are kind of pointing back to how they got some of these things right and wrong. Because we, and we still do this today, right? We're like, nope, God, here's exactly what I think you should do. And then when that doesn't happen, we're like, what? Instead of going, oh yeah, God, I need to lean into your freedom and your creativity for how you are going to fulfill your promises. To help us understand this, we're going to look at the prophet Isaiah today. The prophet Isaiah saw a lot of destruction in his life. The time period that he lived in was not one that was super great for the nation of Israel. At this point in their history, here we go, history lesson, should be excited, history lesson, The nation of Israel, God's chosen people, they have their biggest, best king ever, David, who was a very flawed person, but they had their biggest king and he expands their kingdom. 
And then from then on, like his son Solomon expanded some more. And then from then on, it's just shrinks, 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 shrinks. At some point, they have a civil war and they split. So there's Israel in the north and there is Judah in the south. The nation of Israel never had a good king. All of their kings were bad. Every single one of them served other gods and just did bad, awful things. During the time when I prophet Isaiah was living, a lot of what he had to do was go to the people, go to kings, and be like, Ugh. you're making some bad choices. How about we change that? And they're like, no. And he's like, okay, well then God, it's going to be bad for you if you don't. And they're like, no. So it was not great to be the prophet Isaiah. And then this really big, bad enemy, this nation of Assyria, which they were just bad. They did a lot of bad, awful things. They had a lot of human rights violations. They show up and they basically annihilate the nation of Israel. No more. And the prophet Isaiah lives through all of this. And as he is living through this moment where the Assyrians show up and they lay waste to the northern kingdom of Israel, the prophet Isaiah is like, guys, but remember, we serve a good God. And they're like, seriously, dude, we just got annihilated. No, no, no. God's going to fulfill his promises. And they're like, really? We just got annihilated. Half of my cousins and family, they're just died or taken away as slaves. What are you talking about? He's like, but we need to lean into God's freedom and God's creativity for how he's going to fulfill these promises. And they're like, you done yet, dude? And he gives us some amazing prophecies, which we read a lot at Christmas time. Listen to this first one. It's Isaiah chapter 9. He says, nevertheless, it's a time of darkness and despair, but it will not go on forever. Woohoo! The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road, will be filled with glory. Christmas time. Where was Jesus born? Right there. Right there. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Maybe there was a Christmas story, something about a big bright light in the sky. Wasn't there something about that? <laughs> you will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoiced at the harvest, like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. So people are like, yeah, this sounds great. We're going to rejoice. It's going to be awesome. And then he says this part, which you've probably heard before. For a child will be born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. I feel like we heard that earlier. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Boy, I want that. The commitment of the Lord of the heaven's armies will make this happen? Like, as was probably going to happen then, right? So it's easy for us to kind of see and read some of this and see how this correlates to the Christmas story, right? We can see how Isaiah was talking about when Jesus comes. There's even some stuff in here that we don't understand because we are not ancient Israelites. I know, right? Crazy. 
But when they're talking about the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, I'm not going to go super nerd them into that, but that's basically talking about Bethlehem. That this baby's going to come from nowhere. This child that's going to be born to us. And they, back then, would have heard that and known, like, what? what are you talking about? Naphtali and Zebulun, ain't nobody care about that land. But they're thinking this is going to be a military ruler. He's going to show up. He talks about the yoke of their burden. The oppression is going to be taken away. Sometimes we like, we go through Christmas. I'm like, man, how did so many of the ancient, how did the Israelites miss this? How did they miss when the Savior actually shows up? And then you read some of the prophecies and you're like, oh, it kind of makes a little bit of sense. We might have missed it too. They're assuming that God's going to send someone to overthrow the big bad government. So for the people that Isaiah was talking to, he's, they're thinking he's going to show up and get rid of the Assyrians. And then all of a sudden the Babylonians show up and they take over the Assyrians. And they're like, okay, someone's going to come and take care of the Babylonians. And then the next country comes and the next nation comes. And eventually the Romans come. And they're waiting for this person that's going to come and overthrow the government. That's not what Jesus did, is it? Hmm. It's easy to see how they're looking for a military leader. It's also easy for us to see 2,000 years later that Jesus might have been interested in something else. That's not the enemy Jesus wanted to fight. But we know this was a promise from God. This was a prophecy. So we know God is going to fulfill his prophecy, but we're going to lean into the freedom and creativity for how God is going to fulfill his prophecy. So we have to go, well, then what enemy was Jesus trying to fight? Because the prophet Isaiah is clear he's going to come and fight this enemy. He's going to defeat this enemy. He's going to get rid of the yoke of oppression for all of us, set up a kingdom that never ends. His kingdom and his peace will never end. What in the world was Isaiah talking about? How is God going to use this prophecy, his creativity, his freedom? How is he going to use all of that to fulfill this promise, fulfill this prophecy? Well, let's look at what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, we are not fighting flesh and blood enemies. We are fighting evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. That's exciting, right? Yeah, we get to go fight some enemies in the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world, bum, 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 and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Jesus didn't come to defeat some earthly kingdom. Jesus came to defeat the power of evil, which is awesome. Jesus came to kick all those evil spirits in the face. Like, hey, come here, Satan, come here, come here. Boom! Which if we read the rest of the gospel, we know eventually what happens. Jesus dies on the cross and Satan's like, woohoo, we won. And then three days later, Jesus is like, hey, I'm back. I win. Oh, man. He eventually does this. He came to be the Messiah, the Savior, came to save all of us, to set up a kingdom that will never end, a peace that will never end. And it's good news because it's not just for the nation of Israel. It's for all of us. Everyone gets to be a part of this kingdom if we choose to be part of this kingdom that will never end and the peace that will never end. Look around the world, there's not a whole lot of reasons for optimism. But we have one great, huge, amazing reason for hope. Biblical hope. 
because each and every one of us can lean into this idea that Jesus came to be the Savior that Isaiah was talking about, to help us defeat the enemy. When the angel shows up to talk to Joseph, the eventual, can you imagine being the stepfather of God? Like, that's got to be a hard job. He's like, I don't know. Can you, trying to believe your fiance when she's like, listen, I'm pregnant. It's God's kid. Really? So an angel shows up in a dream. like, no, she's telling the truth. And then at the end of that, listen to what the angel says. The angel says, he's going to save his people from their sins. Tells Mary he's going to set up a kingdom that runs forever. Tells Joseph he's going to save his people from their sins. That's us. He came to save us from our sins. He came to save me from my sin. He came to save you from your sin. What does sin do? Sin destroys. Sin is the goal of the enemy because he knows it's going to hurt us and it's going to hurt the people around us when we sin. It's going to distract us from being close to God. And Jesus came to say, no, 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 no. no. I am coming to be a mighty warrior, but not a warrior that's going to kick out the Romans, a mighty warrior to help you kick out sin. And we get hope because of that. As we go through this Christmas season, this is the first week of Advent if we look at the Christian calendar that we have used for a thousand years or whatever, churches across the globe today are celebrating the first week of Advent where we're trying to anticipate and wait for Christmas. We're trying to evoke those same emotions that the Israelites had of waiting for their Savior. The first week we talk about hope. We want you to experience hope this Christmas. If you're taking notes, that's your first fill-in. Experience hope this Christmas. Here's another prophecy from Isaiah when he's talking about this eventual Savior. In Isaiah 7, he says, She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When the angel shows up and talks to Joseph, he says, It's going to be Emmanuel. It's going to be God with us us. Remember, biblical hope is the idea that God's going to fulfill his promises. He's going to use his freedom, his creativity to help fulfill those promises. We can experience hope this Christmas. We can experience hope in this life because this promise. My by far favorite part of Christmas is this idea of Emmanuel. God with us. Christmas morning, 2,000 years ago, when Almighty God, who was present at the moment of creation, comes down in a helpless baby. My in-laws just had a baby. 
And so I got to spend part of Thanksgiving just holding this two-week-old baby, and it's amazing, and I love it. And you get the snuggles, and you're like, this thing has no chance at life without help. That's not how the Savior of the world is supposed to show up. This moment of God with us. I love how the Gospel of John puts it. He said he made his dwelling among us. And that didn't end at Christmas. So we get to have hope at Christmas and beyond because we know that God came to save us from our sins. We now have hope that we can do that. That's God's promise for you. That's God's promise. He has the freedom and the creativity to make that happen in your life to overcome sin. We also have that hope because God is with us. Because God is with us. Emmanuel. God wants to make his dwelling among you. And that doesn't mean he wants to go live in your shed outside. That means he wants to be an active part of your everyday life. That the more time we spend with God through prayer, the more time we spend reading our Bibles, the more time we spend with other people who are also followers of Jesus, the more we do those things, the more we are naturally going to feel God's presence in our life, the more we're going to feel this Christmas promise, this hope that God is with you at all times. God is with you. That gives me all kinds of source for hope, all kinds of source for optimism too. Let's be honest. Like God is with you. This Christmas, as we get into all of the craziness, and we're all going to get into all of the craziness, the movies and the stupid sweaters, and I mean the amazing sweaters, the, uh, the eggnog, the food, the party, all that stuff, which is all fine. It's all great. More important, lean into this concept this Christmas, that God is with you. God didn't come to overthrow some government. God came to help you overthrow sin in your life. It's not a one-and-done thing. It's a gradual process. It takes your whole life, and it's awesome because we get to keep growing. Lean into that this year. Emmanuel, God with us. Here's your homework this week. You ready for this? We all love homework, right? Kids are all upstairs. They hate this. Sit in God's presence this week. Take a few minutes. Maybe it's two minutes. Maybe it's 30 minutes. I don't know what it is. Take some time, intentional time, where you can get away from everything, everybody, everything, leave your phone somewhere else. Don't just be all by yourself. And sit with God in silence. Recognize that he is with you And lean into that hope. Lean into that hope that God is with you. And if you're here or you're watching this and you've never made that decision to become a follower of Jesus, you're hearing this and you're like, "Uh, I want that in my life. Yeah, I I want that hope. I want that hope to overcome sin, which is just things that we do opposite of what God wants. It hurts us, it hurts people around us. I'm going to pray, I'm going to invite you into this prayer And you could make that decision today. 
to become a follower of Jesus. This, what better Christmas present for you and for the people around you than to make a decision today to follow Jesus? For those of you that have already made that decision to follow Jesus, as I pray, I want you to make a commitment to God too. Make a commitment that this week you're going to sit and be quiet and listen to God and just sit in his presence. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be weird. And that's awesome. But make that commitment today so we can grow. We can lean into God's hope this Christmas. Will you pray with me? God, we love you. God, I pray as we go through Christmas, as we go through the Advent season this year, that it'll be different. And I know we pray that every single year. God, I pray that it is different every single year. This year, God, I pray that it's different because we experience your presence in our life. Not that we get presence from you, but we experience this concept, this crazy idea, God, that you want to be with me. You want to hang out with me. You want to make your dwelling, your home in me. That's a crazy concept, God. That's what Christmas is about. Make this Christmas different because we experience the hope that comes with being in your presence, the hope that comes as you help us overcome sin in our life. We can overcome the enemy. Help us lean into that this year, God. Right now, wherever you're at, if today is the day when you say, I want to make that choice, I want to make that commitment to follow Jesus for the very first time, have a conversation in your head with God and say something like this, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I want to experience this hope. I want you with me. I ask you will forgive me for my sin. I ask that you will help me to continue to overcome my sin. And I commit to following you for the rest of my life. And for everyone that's already made that decision, right now, spend a few seconds with God. Make a commitment here this morning that you're going to lean into his presence this week. To sit in some silence. Embrace the awkwardness that comes with that. And listen to what God wants to tell you. Because he's got something amazing he wants to tell you. We have to still our hearts and our minds to hear him. Jesus, we can't thank you enough for coming to earth as a helpless baby. To help us overcome our problems. We love you, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen.